Well, good morning, church. It's so good to see you all. My name is John Adams. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. And hey, I just wanted to start this sermon saying thank you to you all. It has been such an incredible honor to be on staff here. Uh, me and my family felt so incredibly loved by you guys. And so I just want to say thank you first off. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about what it means to be in tight-knit community with the people of God. We're still in our We the Church series, and we as the church are the community of God's people. Back in the 1940s, uh, there was this really famous scientist. His name was Rene Spitz. Uh, Rene, he conducted a study that for me is actually pretty deeply heartbreaking, but I think it gives us such a great insight into the way that you and I were designed as human beings. So what he did, Spitz, he followed a group of children, and the first group uh, were a group of orphans, and uh, their, their life story is really heartbreaking. They had no interaction with their caregivers when they were babies. He followed a second group of kids, um, and these kids had moms who were incarcerated, so their moms were in prison. Uh, but the cool thing with that, even though that sounds terrible, right, the cool thing was their moms could actually still care for the babies every day. They could love and give affection to these babies. Even the people who were running the prison, they could still come and see the babies. Well, what he did was he checked on these infants uh, over time. And at four months, he didn't really notice that much of a difference. At six months, he started to see really small differences, but it really started to change when he got to the year mark. When he got to the year mark, something incredible happened. He started to see that the intellectual performance of the kids who were in the orphanage that didn't have much human interaction, that their, uh, their development started to lag behind the kids of the other group. And unfortunately, uh, they were less curious, they were less playful, they got sick a whole lot more. And it just gets worse. I mean, sorry to start this out with such a bummer of a story, but by their third and their fourth year, the kids who had grown up with moms who were in prison, as you could call it, prison moms, which sounds kind of like a TV show, those kids, they started walking and they started talking, they were confident while the orphan group of kids, there were 26 of them, of all 26 of these orphan group of kids, only two could speak and walk. And the words that they were saying were small words that you'd expect a young two-year-old to say. To me, this is incredibly sad, um, you know, that these kids had to grow up this way, but it shows us an enormous light, an enormous light into the way that God designed us to live, because the truth is we were never meant to be lonely. We know this. We know that loneliness is dangerous. It's been proven to be worse for you than smoking 15 cigarettes a day. It increases your risk of death by 26%. It increases your risk of high blood pressure. It increases your risk of depression, of early mortality, of dementia, and the list goes on and on. The truth is loneliness can kill you. 
That's why, you know, I don't believe the person who says that all they need is God, right? That sounds noble. That sounds like you're a strong Christian, but the truth remains that the Bible actually disagrees with you. If you say, all I need is God, the Bible gives a different story. God himself would disagree with that. Human souls, we were never meant to be alone. And we see this at the very beginning of all things. Adam lived in perfect communion with God. Adam had everything he could ever want. All things in Adam's world worked well. Everything was as it was meant to be. There was no sin in the world, no corruption, no death, no tears, no pain. And Adam lived with a perfect uh, connection with God, a deeply relational connection with God. Honestly, it's a kind of relationship with God that you and I will only look for one day into the future. But for Adam, he got to experience this deep relational connection with God here on this earth. And check this out. Though things were amazing, though things were perfect, God knew that Adam needed something, that Adam wasn't complete, that there was still something missing. So if you have your Bibles, let's take a look at that. Genesis 2, 18 through 25. It says this, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heaven and to the beast of the field. For Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused, caused a deep sleep to fall on the man. And while he slept, took out one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord had taken out of the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said this. This is, this is the first song of Adam. He says, This at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked, and they were not ashamed. You see, it's true. You and I, we were never meant to be alone. And this for me is one of the main things that shows me that you and I were made in the image of a triune God, a God who's living perfectly in harmony and perfectly in community. Now, again, if there was ever a person who could say that they didn't need anybody but God, who would it be? It would be Adam. But God himself says that it's not good for Adam to be alone because he was too communal of a person because he was built in the image of a relational God. Adam was given this task, this really cool task, right? To be over all the beasts of the earth, but they would never be able to fill that deep relational gap that Adam had. Now, you in your renovation Sunday rooms, like, go ahead and raise your hand if you love your dog. I'll give you a second. All right, now go ahead and raise your hand if you have any other animal that you love. All right, now go ahead and raise your hand if you love your cat. Okay, I'm so sorry that you have a cat. I don't know why anybody loves cats. They are the worst thing in the world. Uh, but you know what? I, I'm so glad that you have a deep relationship with your animal. But the truth is that animal will never in a million years be able to understand the desperate longings that your heart has for true friendship and for true love. You know, I was talking to a friend uh, a month or two ago, and she told me that the hardest part of her growing older was this searing sense of loneliness. And as she continues to age, she told me about the heartache of having your spouse die off and having your friends die off. And she was telling me that one of her biggest fears in life is to die alone. 
Now, this was only a couple months ago, so I'm sure with all the craziness of the COVID age, that, got, that fear got so much worse. Like, there are actually people who are breathing their last breath alone without their families by their side. And we feel the weight of pain in this because this is not how God meant for things to be. We weren't meant to be alone. God designed us to constantly live in what I call the community of the kingdom. So that's our big question for today. How on earth, how is life better in community? <clears throat> what does it look like for you and I to live in community? Community that's given both to deeply loving God with their whole heart, soul, mind, and strength, and also to loving their neighbors as themselves. So that's where we get into our text today. Um, we're just going to be pulling this text apart a lot. So if you have your Bibles, get those to Acts, verse, uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47. Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47, and it says this. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Let's pray. Lord God, our prayer is that uh, today you would do in us what we can't do in ourselves. Lord, I pray that as we're talking about community, Lord, would you, through the sweetness of your Holy Spirit, convict our hearts of what is best for us. God, when we have um, different objections to it, Lord, I pray that we would surrender and submit ourselves under you and under your word and do and live the way that you've called us to live. Lord, help us to walk worthy. None of us are, uh, but your grace enables us. So God, please help us. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So the first truth that we see today from the text that we just read, Acts 2, 42 through 47, is this. Devotion is better in community than it is alone. Now, devotion, this is a humongous deal, right? We have so much discretionary time on our hands. Like, literally, we have more discretionary time now than we've had in all of human history. Think about this. For all of human history, they had to grow food. They had to plow their own fields. They had to work tirelessly. Look, you don't want me building or, or growing your crops. You don't want me plowing fields. Like, everything I touch that is green dies. I have beautiful plants at my house. I mean, my wife has done these things. So, beautiful plants. They're lush. They're thriving. They're green. And quite literally, if the very edge of my finger touches it, it dies. Just like that. And so, I'm not out there planting crops. I'm not out there plowing fields. And so, I have more time on my hands now than somebody did back in the day. Not to mention, you know, for us, one of the most incredible inventions in all of human history is electricity. I mean, we could stay up at all hours of the night doing whatever it is you want after the sun goes down, and nobody else for all of human history has had this kind of experience. So we have more time now than we've ever had in history. And I think this is possibly one of the things that's going to make us one of the most equipped generations that has ever lived, yet still the least productive. Because though we have more time now than ever, we also have more distraction now than we ever have. Have you felt this way where you're, you're just getting your wheels spinning in a thousand different directions, yet you never really make progress on anything because you neglect you know, devoting yourself to the things that really, really matter in life? 
I think this is a problem for all of us at some level. In the early church, though they had distraction, obviously, they, I, I seriously do believe we have more distraction now than ever, but they had a solution to the issue, and we learn it from verse 42, which says this. They devoted themselves to what? The apostles' teaching. What was their consistent devotion to you know, for many of us, our, our consistent devotion is to comfort. Like, look, I love going on YouTube. I have a, a YouTube channel um, and, and it's so much fun to be on there, but I like to really watch these productivity guys. Like the guys that they teach you how to do everything in life the most effective way possible. And what I find myself doing is I devote myself to watching and learning how to do things so effectively but that I waste so much time, time learning about being effective that I'm actually not ever really efficient and effective in life. Now, I don't think that these early church people, this first century church would have done this. I don't think they would have devoted themselves to that kind of like foolish comfort. Like, could you imagine a bunch of guys, they're sitting around, they're a bunch of fishermen, and there's this one fisherman who's better than everybody else, and he's teaching everybody else the most effective way to throw a net. And he like comes up with his own course. He starts to try and teach people because he wants to teach the masses how to throw the best possible net into the ocean that they can. And he's sitting down and he's thinking, man, what am I gonna call this thing? I've gotta come up with a really catchy name. There's gotta be a great name. And all of a sudden he comes up with this one. He calls it Netflix. I doubt that they would devote themselves to stupid things like Netflix, like we devote ourselves to the comfort of different distractions like Netflix, Hulu, anything like that, as we do today. Their devotion, it wasn't for comfort, it wasn't for popularity, it wasn't for any of these fleeting things in life. The scripture tells us they devoted themselves to a consistent reading and study of the apostles' teaching, which for us has become the New Testament. So when you read your Bible, it's important to kind of get some of the settings. And so we just read Acts 2.42. I kind of need to get us into what was going on at the time. Well, these early church believers, they had just come off of this enormous experience with the Holy Spirit. They'd encountered the Holy Spirit earlier in Acts 2, and God shows up in this incredible way. They're all together, and this huge blast of wind tears through this crowd of believers, and flaming tongues of fire land on each person's head, and all of a sudden, they're able to understand every single language, and it's kind of this like holy undoing of the Tower of Babels, of the Tower of Babel. And so when these, ex these believers experience the Holy Spirit like this, I think something's funny that, that I noticed them do. They press in all the more to their devotion to the apostles' teaching. They didn't use this experience with the Holy Spirit to excuse themselves, saying like, okay, Holy Spirit, thanks, we got it. Thanks for the cool powers. They didn't do that. They pressed in. And because they pressed into the apostles' teaching, God did amazing things among those believers. Now hear me say this, it is good, it's, it's awesome to want to feel some kind of emotional response when we worship or when we sit under the teaching of God's word, but there's a lot of people who hit a pitfall in our faith where they just want emotionalism more than they want a true God-honoring experience of reading the word and studying the word every day. I have had so many conversations with people that say like, I don't want to get bogged down with theology. I'm like, what? All of life is theology. It's the lens that you see all things through. And these people, these early church believers in verse two, I think they give us evidence that 
Our faith is not just, though it is a faith of amazing outworkings of the Holy Spirit, but it's also a faith that engages your minds. I love what the late English theologian John Stott says about this. He says, Pentecost was no anti-intellectual gig which despises the place of teaching, nor did it get any support to this notion that the indwelling spirit is sufficient for believers' enlightenment and their understanding of God and his will. This means that you and I have live in a kingdom that God has set up in a way that we would continue to need to be learners for the rest of our lives, devoting ourselves daily to encountering God through his word. Now I know in my own life, the times where I feel dry, the times where I feel stagnant, the times where I feel like God is silent, I know this, that those are the times where I'm forgetting that God speaks most clearly and most vibrantly through his word. If you're curious of what God has to say to you, go ahead and read your Bible. I think that reading the scripture, devoting yourself to the apostles' teaching through this word is a mark of people who have given themselves to the Messiah to actually spend time in his word. But seriously, I I know for many of us, this is a struggle especially for those of us who think that we just don't have uh, enough time to give ourselves to the reading of God's word. As I mentioned before, we have more time now than all of human history. We can spare 30 minutes, but many of us think we can't spare 30 minutes. But I promise you this, if I offered you a million dollars from now until January 1st to spend 30 minutes a day in the scriptures, I can 100% guarantee you that you would do it. You see, the problem is not do we actually have enough time? Is do we desire to devote ourselves to the same things that the early church did? The things that are actually going to develop in us life. I want to encourage us to read our scriptures because it is so worth it. I've never in my entire life read the Bible and regretted sitting down and hearing God speak through his word. Now, I think it's important to say this. <coughs> I, th- I think if, if you don't know how to read your Bible, that's okay. That's why we are a church. You need to sit down with others, ask them to help you, to teach you. Because seriously, our Bible that we read was not written to individuals. It was written to churches. Notice how these believers, they didn't read only in their homes. They read their scriptures communally. It was a communal activity for them. They studied the word together. And one of the ways that we do that here at Orlando Baptist Church it's through our community groups, right? We, we meet up weekly or bi-weekly and we devote ourselves to the reading of God's word just like they did in the early church. But that's not all that they did. That's not all that we do when we meet as a community of God's people. Let's continue to read what it is that they did. Verse 42, again, it says, they devoted themselves first to the apostles' teaching. Second, they devoted themselves to the fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayers. The next truth that we get from this scripture is that your daily life, your daily experience of your faith is better in community than it is alone. So this word here that we read in Acts 2, 42, it says this word fellowship. This word fellowship is such an incredible word. This is one of the few Greek words that people who don't read ancient Greek should know. It's the word koinonia. Koinonia means that they shared their lives together, their corporate walk with Jesus. It was kind of this lifeblood of what they did, right? It was part of their every, they, they shared their lives all the time with one another. I think unfortunately for some of us, you know, we devote ourselves to other believers for maybe an hour a week and even that we still find difficult. 
You know, I don't want to come down too hard on any of us because I truly have, even though I've only been here for like two months, I've seen such incredible fruit from, from this church's collective devotion to seeing everybody use the gifts that God has given them in Christ. But I think it's important sometimes to realize how we can be different from the early church. Right? They broke bread together every single day. They lived constantly in each other's presence. They devoted themselves to praying and to te- teaching, and they devoted themselves to breaking bread together. And for some of us, it's difficult to do that once or twice a month. Again, I, I'm not trying to come down hard on anybody. Sorry. I'm not trying to come down hard on anybody, but uh, you know, for some of us, coming once or twice a month, that's a huge deal. Maybe that's like the the best next step that you've taken. I think that is so incredible that you're willing to do that. But I also think it's helpful to understand our history and the history of our faith just to see where we're at. Where we're we're at in comparison to the ancient church or the early church and see if we need to step it up a little bit. And if we do, then we should. I just want to keep it in front of us that we are clearly called to share life together as God's children, to eat together and to enjoy each other. And when we're doing that, we are literally a light of God's love for those who would someday call themselves believers. I say this because I want to encourage you to continue taking steps deeper and deeper and deeper into community because there is no more precious thing, no more precious feeling than having gospel-driven acceptance in community. Like if we were only sharing our experience and sharing our life with people um, once or twice a month and we're missing out on so much. Like it is, it is one of the most incredible feelings when you bear your soul and you show all of the darkness and all of the garbage that lurks down in your heart and you are met with somebody who's not scathing with judgment but says, me too. And when that person reminds you that because of the work of Christ on the cross, God now views you as if you had never sinned a day in your life, that is an incredible feeling. Or better yet, man, have somebody encourage you to walk in holiness because Christ Jesus has already purchased holiness for you. That kind of freedom, that kind of experience is what you get when you share life with other people who have had the kindness of God on their life, that they know that they have God's favor, that God accepts them. So you, as as a believer, you don't need to do anything for God to love you and to accept you. But because you are in community, you're reminded of these truths. And that's exactly what this New New Testament community of believers were. They were people who were messed up, but they needed to be reminded of God's love. You see, God's people As God's people, you and I, we are inflamed for the kingdom when we see God's love for us in the eyes of those we share life with. When when somebody looks at you and you see God's love for you through their eyes, that is such an incredible thing. In your day in and your day out experience of your faith, it will be better if you are in community sharing life with other people. I can promise you that. And when we experience this shared life, it's a beautiful thing. But what's so cool, sorry, I'm having a lot of congestion issues this morning. And and when we experience this kind of shared life, uh, our hearts begin to be enamored, absolutely given and enamored to the love of God that we see in others. And when that happens, what actually happens in our hearts is thankfulness and awe. The next truth we see in the scripture is this, awe and wonder is better in community than it is alone. You see this happen in the early church. When believers were living their lives devoted 
completely to God and completely to others, some really incredible things happen. Verse 243 says this, And awe, awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. You know, awe is something that's distinct. Awe is something that is distinct to humanity. I live in, in Rio Pinar, and it's crazy there. Like, there are these enormous, monstrous squirrels that run around. Like, if you've ever played golf there, there are these tiny bears just running all over the golf course. But what I, what I find funny is I've never actually seen one of those enormous bear squirrels sitting up in a tree and watching in amazement at the Florida sunset. They live on that golf course, and they've definitely seen me and sat in awe and amazement at my inability to golf, you know, as they steal Cheetos out of your golf cart. But I have never seen one of them in awe of God's glory in creation. I've never seen a rhino at Animal Kingdom with a tear dripping slowly down his eyes in awe that God saved him from death by poachers. I've never seen a dog, right, a dog turn to his master. And after his master just filled his food bowl, I've never seen a dog turn to the owner and say, Owner, God truly is Jehovah Jireh because he provides. That doesn't happen. Because first off, dogs can't talk. We all know that. But second off, because dogs cannot experience awe. Awe is unique to those who have been directly made in the image of an almighty God. God is awesome. He gave us this capacity for awe so that we could experience the awe-inspiring nature of God. Now, if you've been living your life, and for many of us, we experience this, where we live our life and we lose our awe. I think I need to suggest this to you, that we would find other people around us and we would press hard into Christ as a group and intently as a group look at the beauty of God in scriptures. And when we do that, we pray and we ask God to ignite our hearts for awe for our King. You know, something that fills me with awe is being around other people and experiencing God's promise that he will be with us no matter what to the very ends of the age. Like, have you ever been around somebody else that has experienced the promises of God? It's just like such a cool moment for your heart where you can praise the Lord through the story that they have. I think Jesus made this, this promise to us. It's, it's a promise to those who are in community. And this promise absolutely fills me with awe. He says this in Matthew 18, verse 20. He says, for where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. Now, I know this text specifically is talking about church discipline, but I think the principle remains the same, that Jesus, that the King of glory, Jesus promises us that his omnipresent divinity is among believers when we're together. And that truth that should fill us with so much awe that God cares enough for us that he would be present with his people as we share life. These early church believers, they were filled with awe for the Lord. And the more that they lived intentionally and shared lives with, with each other, the more that they experienced awe. If you have lost your awe for life, trust me, being among believers as they remind you of the greatness of God is a surefire way to have awe reborn in your heart. Now, I know we live in a day and an age where awe, we've, been, we've just been so desensitized to awe-inspiring things. Like, think about how wild this is. There are planes, hundreds of thousands of pounds of metal flying through the air at all times. That's why I'm, I'm terrified of flying because of that fact. That 
should fill us with awe, but we see it so often. I've also experienced this when watching, uh, uh, you know, I've grown up in Orlando, so, so watching over at Cape Canaveral, seeing rockets fly into the sky, man, the first couple times it was awe-inspiring, and then it just kind of became another Tuesday, you know, so we've become desensitized to these things, and I think if we have, if we become desensitized to these things, we probably need to return to the simplicity of community and hearing God's story in the hearts and the lives of other people for us to have our hearts inspired to awe again. And this happens in Acts. They saw the reality of being filled with awe, being filled with awe and satisfaction in God's presence. And they suddenly started to look completely different from the world because when you have awe for God, for the right things, then your awe for the shiny things of this earth, they start to grow dim. Our next truth is this. Care is better in community than selfishness is alone. Acts 2, 44 through 45 says this. And all who believed were together and had all things in common and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any has need. I remember reading this verse growing up and, and kind of the first thing that popped into my mind was communism, right? Like, I, I don't know why, but I wonder how many of us think, you know, hear this verse and we think instantly the first thing is communism. But that's not what was happening here in these believers. This definitely was not. They were voluntarily giving out of the overflow of their experience with God, out of the overflow of their possessions, and nobody was demanding their stuff. You know, the other reason that it's kind of different from communism is people still had possessions. They still had homes they met in. They still had clothes that they liked. They still had things they enjoyed. In fact, we see this in Acts 5 when Ananias and Sapphira, they bring money uh, to the apostles and they lied about it, both to the apostles and to God. And Peter tells them, he says, you didn't need to do this. Why are you doing this? Why are you lying? The fact of the matter is they lied about what was going on and that's what brought about their condemnation. So it wasn't fear that caused these New Testament believers, these early church members to give. And it also wasn't like a membership fee. Like if you want to join our club, you got to sell everything you have and then you'll be in. That's what monks do. They weren't doing that. Something else caused these people to give of their possessions. So what pushed these New Testament believers to give? I think they felt the presence of God in, in this new post-Pentecost season, they felt like the, the presence of God was more than enough to satisfy the deepest longings of their heart. And so they gave and they gave and they gave, making sure that everybody around had everything that they needed to live. And as needs continued to arise for them, people would just sell off more stuff. The church would give off its possessions and they would continue to help the needy. When you're in community, you should be cared for. And I think it's beautiful. I think it's beautiful to see how much this flies in the face of our modern proud hearts, this modern idea that success is in the abundance of your wealth. That's the thing that makes you valuable. And that is a lie. That's a terrible way to view human worth. But I think there's something that's even more insidious. This, this lie that so many of us have believed that if we just keep our mouths shut and we just keep our burdens to ourselves and never let anyone into our needs or into our struggle, then we can still hold our chin high. That is antithetical to the gospel. This is arrogance. If you need help, humble yourself and ask for help. God's the one who gives all the good gifts. So if he's decided to give money to someone else to help you out, we all just need to drop our pride and ask. 
Think about it. If the church doesn't know that there's a problem, how in the world are we able to help? Don't rob us of this joy of being a blessing to you. All of God's people are blessed in order to be a blessing to others. Like seriously, it is such a huge blessing when somebody from your community group says that they need help and you're finally given a chance to use the things that God has given you and you band together as a community to bless. And it actually starts to bless the giver so much more than it does the person who is given the money. So if you are in the community of God's people, it is such a better blessing to care and it's better to be cared for when you're in community. The final truth that we see is this. I love this truth. Kingdom building is better in community and it's impossible alone. Kingdom, kingdom building is better in community and impossible alone. Acts 2.46 says this, And day by day attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is incredible. I mean, these believers, they're meeting every single day, breaking bread, doing life together, and God gave them hearts that were deeply satisfied in him. And so they receive all of this blessing from the Lord with thankful and generous hearts. As I think about the mission of the church, what could be more attractive than a group of people deeply satisfied in the Lord? You know, I, a football season starting, you'll see this all the time. Uh, there are all these new um, commercials and, and different kinds of commercials, car commercials, diet commercials, all of this. What I've noticed in life is that every single new diet, every single new workout equipment, every single new car commercial, it will show a group of people deeply satisfied in the product. And you know what's wrong with this? It, those products, those things, they were never meant to satisfy the deepest longings of your heart. That, that diet that you just started, you're probably still going to be fat and fail at it. I know, because that's me, like every two months. I try some kind of new thing to lose weight, doesn't work. Maybe just exercise and eating right wood, but that's, that's silly, okay? That one Bowflex that you bought back in 1998, that, that's going to just fade away from your mind. That new car that you got, it's going to get dirty. The gas tank is always going to need to be filled. That brand new car that you swore would satisfy the longings of your heart was not meant to do it. Because it can't do it. Those advertisers that you're going to see during the football season, they're playing off of something that God knew from the very beginning of time that we were built for community and a community that's deeply satisfied together. The truth that we know that those people don't is that God is the only one who can satisfy the heart of mankind. And when I see a, a group, a, a church, like a group of people who are deeply satisfied in the Lord God, living open and shared lives, that is so attractive to a watching world because that's what we were all designed for. When I think about a, a, a group of people that's satisfied in the Lord and they're living shared lives together, that to me sounds like a very healthy church. And I think that's the, one of the chief ways that God is spreading his gospel, that God is using to build his church. The capital C church is through healthy churches that are satisfied and sharing life, that plant healthy churches that are satisfied and sharing life. Because the truth is, things that are healthy grow. In the early church, it was healthy. And these people, they were intentionally devoting themselves to God and to, to each other. They were spending time in prayer and their hearts are filled with awe for God. And they're caring for each other, giving up valuable things to see everybody 
cared for and provided for. And God uses this overflowing, welling up health that's happening, this satisfaction that's happening in him. And what does he do? He draws men and women to himself, adding thousands to their rank day by day. Church, do you realize this? Do you realize that God has plans for you in the community that he has placed you in? God wants to spread his word through your participation in the body of Christ. Like hear this, hear this statistic. This is a huge statistic. 86% of people said that they started following Jesus because of someone they were friends with. So God made you. God made you with your gifting. He's put you in a particular place at a particular time, all so that you could be an instrument in his hand for spreading the gospel. And you and I were meant to do this best in community. Now, I hear objections to this all the time. Like, I've been a pastor for over 10 years, and I hear people object to being in community, like a community group or something like that. Typically, they'll say, I was offended by somebody in a group, and therefore, I don't think it's worth it. They hit some kind of roadblock, some kind of difficult thing, and now I don't think it's worth it. Now, understand this. A group can only exist if it bleeds the gospel of Jesus Christ. You realize Jesus died to tear down walls and to bring us close together. That's why for any community, any church, anything, Christ must be the cornerstone. And we read this in Ephesians 2, 11 through 22. He says, therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made by the flesh by hands. Remember that you were separated from Christ alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant promises, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, this is the hinge, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ for he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in the ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and he preached to those who were far off, peace to those who were far off and peace to those who were near. Through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. This is such good news. So you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the what? The cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Look, if you're in community, you are gonna run into all sorts of difficult things. And this is part of God's sanctifying process in your life. But God does amazing things in the messiness of community. And understand this, because of that messiness and God's power in it, God, the the power of the gospel, it is put on display all the more brightly by believers who can instantly say, they've experienced the grace of God, that they can instantly say, I forgive you. And be the first one maybe to say, 
I'm sorry, because they've put their faith and their trust in the cornerstone who is Jesus Christ. So it is true. The fact remains, life in community is better than life alone. Life in community is better in life alone. You see, your devotion to the Lord, as we talked about, your devotion to the Lord is better in community. Your daily experience of your faith, it is better in community. Your awe and your wonder and your care and your ability to be used in the kingdom of God, it is better in community. So church, what is holding you back? I think a really great next step for many of you is to join a community group. We're in this series, We the Church. It's amazing. This, this Sunday gathering, it is amazing, but it's just not enough to keep you going. We need a space where we can be so much more intentional and so much more uh, vulnerable, where we can really bear our souls and have other people lift us up in the grace of Jesus Christ. So on September 19th, we're going to have a group sign up. We're going to be launching groups. You'll hear more about it. There will be groups, uh, tables out to sign up. I think that's a great next step for your life. But realize this, God is made much of. God is made much of when we live lives that reflect him. So you being in a community group, you belonging to a group of people is all about seeing God absolutely the most glorified in your life that he can be and you helping other people to do the same. And so I think, I believe that it is crystal clear from the text that we read today that God built us to flourish in tight-knit, gospel-centered community, just like he did in the church of Acts 2. That we would have the utmost health in our walk with him as we walk with others, which points an enormous light on the greatness and the grandeur and the goodness of God. So take that step when we do this community sign up, and I promise you, you will see more of the work of Christ in your life than you ever had before. At this time, I'm gonna send it over to the room host to pray with you. If you feel like you need community around you, I think your room host is a great place to start. First, let me pray, and then we'll turn it over to them. Lord Jesus, our prayer today is that you would help to, to, to undo this lie that we've believed, that we are okay on our own. God, just like Adam, all things were perfect. And yet you said it was not good for Adam to be alone. Lord, we, we admit that it's not good for us. And thank you so much for this church, Lord, that you've given us a place to belong. God, I pray for everybody out there. For those who want to devote themselves to your word but don't know how to read it yet, God, I pray that they would find good, tight-knit community. For those who need care, I pray that they would find good, tight-knit community. For those who need fellowship, I pray that they would find good, tight-knit community. God, all of this so that we can point a huge light on you and a huge light on your gospel and that your gospel would go forth and would push back the darkness. Lord, we love you and we thank you for your grace. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Let's go to the room hosts.